Well, if we haven't met, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors on staff at the Chapel Sydney. Uh, if you're joining us online, thank you for welcoming us into your home on this Christmas Eve day. Well, uh, I remember the first time I fell head over heels in love. Yeah, woo, yeah, woo. <laughs> Amen, and that's it. That's the rest of this. <laughs> I was in E5. Now, is that too early to be in love? A little bit. Um, well, we had just finished church, and my family and I were out to have lunch. It's just an ordinary Sunday, nothing special. I didn't expect that on a cold winter day at a Vietnamese restaurant that, I would, that my life would change forever. And even though I, <laughs> I couldn't marry her, <laughs> stop laughing, somebody. <laughs> even though I couldn't marry her at the time or spend the rest of my life with her, um, at age 10, I do still think about her often. Ooh, yeah, ooh, ooh. And I know if you guys met her as well, that you guys would really, you'd really love her. And so I'm waiting for my food, and I see her, and she comes closer. And I can't help but notice how beautiful she is. She's, like, perfect. Not only was she beautiful, but I can smell her from my, my seat, and she smelled so good. I was in love. This love of my life. Uh, she's known by her proper Vietnamese name, Pho. <laughs> or beef noodle soup, if you guys know. Um, yes, I like Pho. And I think about Pho a lot. I think about that time a lot. Now, just like how I fell in love with Pho at age 10, we've all experienced some form of love, whether it be as a parent, as a child, as a boyfriend, girlfriend, or as a friend. And so today, on this very last day of Advent, we're going to see what the Bible says about love. Okay? In the last three weeks of Advent, we've walked through the story and themes of hope, uh, joy, peace. But it all accumulates to this zenith, right? this pinnacle point, this one final theme of love. And this theme undergirds the whole message of Christmas. The Christmas story is a story of love. But it's not love as the world defines it, but it's love as the Bible defines it. The dictionary, the dictionary definition of love is this, a strong affection for another, rising out of kinship or personal ties, warm attachment, devotion. This is what the world will say love is. Love is a feeling. It's a warm attachment, a strong affection for something or someone. And it's not a bad definition. It's just not the definition that the Bible gives us. Now, the English language is amazing, right? But it's limiting. Our term love is used for absolutely everything. I love chocolate. I love my family. Is my love on the same level as, as is my love for my family on the same level as chocolate? It, it isn't. And so this term love in the English, it's not the best way to describe things. And if you didn't know, the Bible was not written in English. The Old Testament was actually written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And unlike the, unlike the English language, the Hebrew and Greek have multiple and more precise ways of describing love, whether it be emotional love, physical love, friendship love, self-sacrificing love. But 
The unmistakable definition that the Bible gives us about love is in 1 John 4, 7 to 11. God is love. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 John 4, 7 to 11. These verses are the meat and potatoes of what love is. So let's uh, read this together. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. The Apostle John is saying that God doesn't just love, but that he is love. That's his very nature. His very being is love. One pastor puts it like this. To say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. Love characterizes everything that God does. God's creating, he's ruling, he's judging, he's revealing, he's instructing, he's blessing, he's disciplining, he's giving, rebuking, sustaining. It's all done in love. There is nothing that God does that doesn't come from his loving nature. But the sad reality is a lot of us, we... We understand God's primary nature to be one of wrath and judgment and anger. Yes, God does send his wrath in judgment. Yes, God gets angry, but that's not his central identity. His anger and judgment is not at the core of who God is. The very nature, the very core identity of God is love. And this is the base, this is the framework we need in order to understand this Advent love, this Christmas story. Because everyone, no matter how young or old you are, no matter where, whether you're surrounded by hundreds of friends and family, or whether you're doing life by yourself, we all need to swim deep in the ocean of God's love. A love that is uncaused, unending, and unchanging. And so today, on this final week of Advent, that's what I want to remind us about. God's love is uncaused, it's unending, and unchanging. The first one is this, God's love is uncaused. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that there is nothing that we can do to cause God to love us. There is nothing that we can do to prevent him from loving us. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 1.5 that God simply loves us according to the good pleasure of his will. One of the sad realities of this life is that all cultures experience in this life will, will teach us that we need to earn love. We need to earn what other people Think about us. And what that does is it gives us a false idea of love. 
where we need to meet certain expectations for, or conditions for others to love us. And it puts so much pressure on us that we need to put on a mask. Because the world's condition is this. I will love you if you are good looking, if you are intelligent, if you are wealthy, if you have a good job. But we can't live like this. There's a story of uh, Brenda and Dave Rover. Dave Rover was a soldier uh, who was injured in the Vietnam War when a phosphorus grenade uh, went off and burnt half of his face off. And he shares this story of being in the ICU and watching the man next to him who was similarly injured, uh, watching his fiancée walk up to the bed and say, look at you, you're an embarrassment. I can't be seen with you. And he says that she took off her ring and set it on his bedside table. And when Dave saw that, he, he said that it terrified him. Because he saw how deformed his face had become. He was scared of what his fiance would say to him. And he said as she walked in, she looked at his face and said, welcome home. And gave him a big kiss. That's what God's love is like. There are no conditions on it. God's love for us is free. It's spontaneous. It's unprompted. And there is nothing that we can do to cause God to love us more. God simply loves us because He is God and He does as He pleases. And it makes Him happy to love us without any conditions. Let that sink in for a moment. God loves you without any conditions. God's love is uncaused. It means that there is nothing that we can do to ever make God love us less or more than he does right now. No sin, no failure, no guilt, no shame, no regret, no mistake. Nothing can stop God from loving us. And there is nothing that we can do to prevent him from loving us. So you can run as hard, as fast, as far as you want, but you will never outrun the love of God. The second thing that we see is this, God's love is unending. Now, if you know me, if you get to know me, uh, you'd find out that I'm a fan of many things. The manly Rohingya seagulls. You, where's Ellen Chang? She's, she's the only supporter. Um, Steph Curry. Guitars, but I love Korean barbecue. I love eating Korean barbecue, and it's not because I'm Korean, okay? But it's because of the complete experience. It's communal. Everyone's taking part. You've got a bit of protein. You've got a bit of lettuce. <laughs> <You've> got <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, okay, thanks. You've got a bit of sauce, um, but there are these unspoken rules around Korean barbecue. And if you're ever going to take your non-Korean friends, then let me, let me fill you in so that you, you look like you know what you're doing. Unspoken rule number one is you never let your friend get the sausages or the chicken. You need to keep your eyes on the prize. It's Kobe or Wagyu all the way, okay? Rule number two, don't waste space on the rice or the hot chips. You're not at a rice or hot chips buffet, okay? So don't waste your space on that. And the final rule is this. You always start with the non-marinated meats first. Yeah, amen? From the, lean, from the lean cuts to the fattier cuts. 
And then you ask for a new pan and you get the marinated meats. Amen? Don't mix and match. Your taste buds will get confused, okay? And if you've got cold barbecue instead of gas, even better. But my love for cream barbecue always ends after the meal. After the meat sweats, after all my clothes and hair smells of barbecue for days, after eating way too much meat, my, my love for it always ends there. Now, like how my love for bar- Korean barbecue ends after I'm full, if God's love for us ended after a certain point, then how can we trust a God like that? But thankfully, God's love for us, it, it never ends. And it never ends because of this one other truth, okay? And the other truth is that God is eternal. Now stay with me. If God dies, okay, if he ceases to exist, then that means God's love ceases to exist. So it's actually really difficult to separate God's eternal love and God's eternal nature, okay? You can't have one without the other. And the Bible is super clear about God's eternal nature. In Isaiah 57, 15, it, it describes God inhabiting eternity. In 1 Timothy 1, 17, it describes God as the King eternal. In Revelation, it describes God as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. And in Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, From beginning to end, you are God. These truths from Scripture, it shows us that that God always existed and He will always exist. Think about this. God's eternal nature means that He is not limited to space or time because He created them both. Listen to the way someone describes it. Someone describes it like this. Because He created time and stands above, Above it, he has immediate access to the entire scope of time from beginning to end. Because he created space and stands above it, he can be at all places in the universe simultaneously. And so because God is eternal, not limited by space or time, and because God is love, that means that God's love is eternal. God's love for you is eternal. It never ends. Listen to the way God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah to his people in the Old Testament. God says this to the Israelites. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Yes, this passage was spoken to God's people in the Old Testament, specifically for the Israelites back then. But the love it describes is God's love for you and me. God's love for you, it goes on and on and on and on. And if you've ever gone through a breakup or a divorce, if you've ever grown up with absent fathers or mothers, you know the feeling of once being loved by someone and then that devastating feeling that when that person stops loving you, that never happens with God. You may have been abandoned. Friends and family may have walked out on you. But God, He never leaves you. He never walks out on you. Because His love is eternal. It's unending. And so if you've walked in today wondering and questioning whether you are loved, 
If you've walked in struggling with loneliness or convinced that you are unlovable, then friends, listen in closely because God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And today he's drawing you in with his unfailing kindness. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says it like this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what can break the bond of love that has no end? What can rip apart God's love for you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The last thing is this. God's love is unchanging. Now, you don't have to put up your hands, but uh, how many of our New Year's resolution is to lose weight? Getting in shape. Yeah. If that's you, then you would have seen the many fads and trends for losing weight over the years. We've all seen the marketing ads on how to lose 50 kilograms in three weeks, which is physically not possible. But listen to some of these fitness fads over the years, okay? In, in 1958, it was hula hoops. In 1984, it was jazzercise. In 1994, it was the ab roller. In 1999, it was Thai bow. In 2003, it was P90X. In 2004, it was yoga. In 2005, it was bar or bari or however, however you say that one. In 2012, it was Zumba. In 2015, it was Fitbits. And in 2017, it was CrossFit. How interesting. The fitness fads and trends have never been consistent. They are always changing. And it's a bit like our emotions. They always change depending on how we feel. But even with how these fitness trends keep changing or how our feelings keep changing, the truth is that the character of God, it never changes. Listen to Malachi 3.6. It says, I am the Lord. I do not change. And James 1.17, the writer says this, he never changes. God never changes. Think about how amazing that is. If God never changes, if he is consistent and faithful, then that has to mean that his love for us is the same. His love for you is not less or greater than it has been for eternity past. His love for you is nothing less than constant and unchanging and eternal. The beautiful thing about that is we don't need to wake up one morning walking on eggshells because we don't know if God will be happy or angry with us. We don't need to worry about God suddenly deciding that he has had enough of us. We don't need to worry about that. And as one pastor, uh, David Jeremiah says, he says this, even if we wake up in the morning and decide we've had enough of God, he still chooses to love us. How amazing is that? Now, the question that always pops up every time we talk about God's love, the question that always pops up, and I just want to touch on it, is this. 
How can a loving God send people to hell? And that is a great question. But that tells me one thing. I'm going to be brutally, brutally honest. It means you haven't understood three things. The nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the nature of sin. Because what you have to understand is that hell wasn't created for us. It was never intended for human beings. God loves you so much that he doesn't impose himself. He doesn't force himself on you or on those that don't want him. If people don't want God in this short life on earth, then people aren't going to want God in eternity. So it's not God sending people to hell, but it's people making their own choice to reject God. And the truth of the Bible is that it teaches us that hell is real. When we pass from this side of eternity to the next, we don't get an opportunity to start again. God doesn't just reset everything and end up sending people to heaven because, he, because of his love. That actually defeats the purpose and sacrifice of Jesus. God in his mercy has given us time right now to repent and surrender our lives to him. Right now is our time. So how are we meant to respond to this kind of love that is uncaused, unending, and unchanging? Well, 1 John 4, 9, 10, it tells us that God's love was expressed to us. It was shown not by words, but by action. This is what verse 9 says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself dislike him less. C.S. Lewis is saying, don't just say with your mouth, but put your money where your mouth is. God did more than just say he loved us, but he demonstrated his love for us in Jesus. And so as brothers and sisters, we as children of God, we are to do the same. We are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We are to lay down our pride, our prejudice, our dislikes. We are to love God as he loved us. So if you're struggling to love another person, remember what Jesus tells Simon in Luke 7. He says this, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Because the truth is, everyone who, has, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And our response to that truth must be, yes, Lord, I will love others. But the good news is that we don't have to do this in our own strength. Our strength to love others, it stems from the greatest act of love from God. 
when we truly look to Jesus and his sacrifice for us, when we meditate on God's unconditional, sacrificial and personal love for us, we always find reasons to love those that are unlovable. The greatest act of love from God is seen in Jesus. Let me read this again, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus laying down his life is how we know what love is. God's demonstration of love for us, it's it's shown in John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in 1 John 4 verse 10, it says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us when we were in the depths of our despair, when we were deep in the things that break God's heart. And it wasn't us who loved God first, but it was actually God who took that first step toward us. And he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sins so that we might escape the penalty of an eternity without God. Our salvation, our freedom, our life was purchased by the blood of Jesus. So my prayer today for all of us on this Christmas Eve is that we would realize that God's love for you and me, it's been existent from eternity past and it will continue to eternity. And it's been expressed through the sacrifice of Jesus. The question is, will you accept this free gift of God's love? Uh, Let's close our eyes in prayer.